0: Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. I believe that the number one variable in who gets healed of emotional damage is not faith, I believe it's courage. Hello, I'm Mark Rutland. I'm so glad that you've joined me today for The Leader's Notebook. We've been talking the last few weeks about my book, Courage to be Healed. At the end of this uh, podcast, someone's going to tell you how you can get Courage to be Healed for yourself or for those that need to read it. This book has exploded for us. I'm so delighted with that. I'm delighted with the response to it and people that uh, have texted me, written me, responded that they found tremendous help, and I'm so glad of that. I'm not going to reiterate the last few weeks, but they are all archived, and I hope that you will get them and listen to all of those and then stay with me for the rest of this brief series on Courage to be Healed. Now, let me just give you the fundamental basis of the book, and that is this, that there are five terrible Toxic rivers that can flow up from a life, and then the greater problem is out of the life. So that toxicity flows out of them and on to the lives around them so that their environment around them becomes toxic. Families, marriages, offices, relationships. So what are those five toxins? Here they are. I hope you're taking notes. Shame, unforgiveness, rejection, condemnation, and fear. I believe those are the big five. Now, each of them flows out of a place, a throne is what I call it. You could call it a stronghold, a fortress, an evil spring this toxic river flows out of. If you remember, in Scripture, it talks about the river of life flows out from underneath the altar of God. So if there's a river of life that flows out of the altar of God, I believe there is a river of toxic poison that flows out of these five thrones. So let me give them to you. Here they are. Shame flows out of deception. Unforgiveness, out of an inflated sense of justice, judgment. Rejection flows from doubt. Condemnation from idolatry. Fear from pain. Now, what unseats those thrones? What tears those thrones down? So here are the five therapies. Shame, which flows out of deception, is healed by truth. Unforgiveness, which flows out of an inflated sense of judgment, is healed by the therapy of grace. Rejection, which flows out of doubt, is healed by the therapy of trust. When we learn to trust God and trust His Word, doubt is dethroned, if you will, and rejection begins to dry up. Condemnation. Flows out of idolatry, and idolatry is unseated by worship. We'll deal with that one in some detail later on in weeks to come. And fear, this one may surprise you, fear is seated in pain. All fear is the the fear of either pain that might happen or repeated pain of the past. And that is a very biblical therapy, as they all are, and we know what that is. Perfect love casts out all fear. So love is the therapy that dethrones the fear of pain. So when that happens, what are we shooting for? What's the goal of a life that is healed by courage and by the therapeutic word of God? What what is that life supposed to look like? It's supposed to be integrated. A life is not supposed to be disintegrating, integrated, filled with mercy, acceptance, balance, and hope When you come to a life that is integrated, filled with mercy, acceptance for themselves and for others, that is balanced emotionally and spiritually and has a hope that transcends immediate pain, you have a life that has experienced the healing power of God. Now, that's the basis of the book, and then we take each of those in turn, one after the other throughout the book, and we deal with specific counseling cases of people that have struggled with one of these strongholds. So in this broadcast today, what I want to deal with is the issue of shame. I believe shame is perhaps the most toxic of all these five. And it is rooted, grounded, enthroned, if you will, in deception. For shame to take hold of a life, someone has believed a lie or a set of lies. What treats that deception, what tears that throne down is the truth. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. So that all of those things that have happened, even those things that brought shame into the life, can be brought into the wholeness of life and integrated, if you will. So let's uh, let's talk about a specific case where shame brought that destructive and toxic flow to a life. We'll call him Johnny. When Johnny came for counseling, he was a highly successful executive, a large organization, but he had become so toxic that his board, his friends, his wife, particularly his wife, were demanding that he get counseling or it was going to fall to pieces. He was basically a destructive force in every relationship around him at a moment of tremendous success. As we began the counseling, of course, Johnny was, as so many are, defensive, angry, uh, resistant. I don't know why I'm here, you know, that kind of thing. But as we began to work further into it, as I began to talk about You know, just trying to get a feel for his life. We hit a place where he just simply didn't want to talk. And then he became angrier and angrier. I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to deal with the past. Why do we deal with the past? That's not my problem. On and on and on. I think every counselor has encountered some place where you've touched a nerve, you realize you've touched a nerve, and the person begins to be more and more resistant and angrier and angrier. Finally, it exploded. In the summer before Johnny's fifteenth year, when he was fourteen years old, Johnny was sexually molested in a very violent way he was He was raped, and it it was such a horrific event in his life, and he felt completely on an island, so he never told anyone about it. He buried it completely i I know what someone right now is thinking. I I can hear your thoughts. You're saying, why didn't he call the police? Why didn't he tell someone? As I began to work with him, he revealed to me that what he was terrified of was that the people who had done it would tell. They threatened to tell. They said, once the other men in town know about this, they're all going to want to be with you. And he was absolutely terrified that the word would get out. So not only did he not tell anybody, he was terrified somebody would. So what happened was he began to do what he could to bury that. Now, I just want to say something to you that you may or may not believe, but I'm telling you it's true. Never underestimate the capacity of the human psyche to deny reality. Denial is a hugely powerful force in the human emotional bank. To suppress something, bury it, put it under the floorboards of our lives, walk over it year after year after year after year until it seems like it's disappeared. This seemed like it went away for Johnny. It seemed like it went up in smoke. It became almost as if it, it never happened. He, he began to feel like, did that even really happen? The problem is... The monster is under the floorboards. It's always there, growling and snarling. And so you pile more and more stuff on top of it. Success. He became very successful in athletics. He became ferocious on the playing field because what was driving him was, no one will ever take advantage of me again. No matter how big they are, no matter how strong they are, no matter how powerful, even if they're armed, no one Will ever dominate me ever again. And so he became a ferocious athlete. The same thing happened to business. He became ferociously competitive. No one's going to beat me. No one's going to overcome me. Well, some of that tends towards short term success. The problem is the toxicity that can make you short term success can make you long term impossible to live with. And that's exactly where Johnny was. So what. What happened was the deception that anchored that denied sexual molestation in his deepest self. And that deception for Johnny was this only a woman can be raped. So therefore, he had to deny that it was a rape or question who he was as a human being. It was a terrible deception. But that deception in that mind of that small, early adolescent boy, so therefore, what was it that happened? And he couldn't sort it out. He couldn't sort out what had happened, so he simply buried it. He locked it in a safe under the floorboards and stacked things on the floorboards. Now, here are the top 10 deceptions as I've been able to observe them through years and years and years, decades in ministry. I call them the 10 lies that host shame's power. Here are those top 10. One, this thing that happened left a permanent stain and nothing can ever wash it away. That's a terrible deception. Number two, this must be kept from others. It must be hidden. That strands me on an island without any help, without anyone to talk to me. I have to hide it, so therefore I am alone with the secret. Number three, you are what others did to you. You are what happened. So therefore, if that thing was shameful, it now makes me shameful. If it was dirty, it makes me dirty. If it was a filthy thing that cannot even be repeated, now therefore I am filthy. That's the third lie. The fourth lie is this one. You can hide your shame behind a veil of success. That one is believed by many, many people, and it was believed by Johnny. I simply will bury it under success. Number five, you cannot hide your shame no matter what you do. Everyone can see the stain. It's the opposite Of number four, the alternative to number four is I can hide my shame behind a veil, a wall of success. Number five is no matter what I do, someone somewhere can see what happened to me. They can tell that I'm a shameful, dirty person. Number six, you are partially to blame for this shame. If you buy into that one, if someone buys into that one, Then they are unable to fasten the blame and the shame on the perpetrator. Therefore, they inappropriately bear part of that shame on themselves. Number seven, no one could ever really love or admire me if the person knew my shame. The only way to earn their admiration is by weaving a veil of success to hide the shame. In other words, because of what happened to me, No one could ever really love me or admire me, so I cannot reveal to them who I am, so they only love and admire a mirage. Number eight, you must be strong. Your personal strength can keep the shame under control. Only weaklings and failures let the shame they feel hamper their efforts. This forces the toxicity to the surface in terms of activity. I have to be strong. So strength becomes ruthless. Ruthless becomes unbearably competitive. And that desire for personal strength makes me toxic. Often, you hear the phrase toxic masculinity, but it's not toxic masculinity at all. It's toxic woundedness. I'm just acting out of my effort to seem stronger, to be stronger in order to keep that shame under control, to keep it under the floorboards. Number nine, there's little use in trying because you're never going to be much of anything. That's the opposite of the first eight. I'm not even going to compete. I can't win. I am a loser. What happened to me proves that I'm a loser. And therefore, those who buy into this line, their shame cripples them in leadership, business, and relationships Because they see themselves as soiled losers. Number 10, and this is one of the big ones. There is something deeply wrong with me. There is something dirty about everything I am. That haunting voice in the back of someone's mind who has experienced shame says something's wrong with you. You are never going to be clean. Now, that set of lies must somehow or another be brought to the surface and each one of them dealt with. What deals with deception is truth. So there is a pathway to wholeness that brings those things to the surface, that heals shame. Here's the thing about trauma. I know it sounds, I know it sounds simple, but here it is. The thing about trauma is. Is that it's traumatizing. I don't say that to sound frivolous. The truth is that a traumatic event, such as Johnny endured as a young boy, as terrible and painful as it was for him, it was nevertheless an event. It is of limited time. When it's over, it's over. Only it isn't. That traumatic event may be over, but the traumatized life remains. Hurt, confused, frightened, disoriented, people who have been through trauma, especially, not exclusively, but especially sexual trauma, need healing that goes way beyond, far deeper than physical healing. No medicine can reach the deep crevices of the soul. Wounded souls need wonderful counsel, and Jesus is called the Wonderful Counselor. They need to not only get through the event itself, but that's over. Once that's over, it's over. What they have to deal with is the long-term damage. Sexual trauma is a common source of shame, but it is by far not the only one. Shame can ooze out of words that people say to a child, you nasty little thing, or you disgust me. If someone says to a child, you disgust me, What the child hears is, you are disgusting. So shame is a a bitter harvest of seed phrases such as, you make me sick, or you're a weird little creep. Things that get said and get stuck on the inner lining of that terrible, terrible wound is there. That's the reason that, that shame is not just embarrassment. Embarrassment is when you spill your spaghetti in your lap. Shame is soul poison. It's the devastating humiliation of disgrace, of personal disgrace. And what has to happen is that that shame has to be brought to the surface and it must be treated with biblical truth. John 8:32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Whole? Well, without shame, just as God intends us to be when we know the truth. Now, here's the challenge. Listen to this. You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. But first, it may make you miserable. Dealing with the truth can be painful. Denial can be sweet, and covering it can be sweet. But sometimes, you have to tear those floorboards up Bring the monster out where it is, deal with it, but that often cannot be done alone. If you're hearing me right now, and shame is one of the great struggles of your life, I urge you to see a professional that can help you process that shameful trauma, bring it up into the surface, and deal with it in a biblical way. Here's the truth that heals emotions damaged by shame especially sexual trauma. Here it is. I am not what someone did to me. I am not even shameful things I have done. I am who he says I am. And he says I am his cleansed, forgiven, healed, and accepted child. And that heals me. It may be a path to get there. It may be a painful, difficult path. But when I come to that moment, I am who God says I am. I am not what happened to me. Healing is on the way. I'm so glad you joined me today for this new episode of Courage to be Healed here on The Leader's Notebook. I know this is an unusual series for The Leader's Notebook. We're usually dealing with leadership issues, but we said at the very beginning of The Leader's Notebook, we're going to deal with these things, life, relationship, leadership, and faith. So the problem with emotional damage is that it can destroy life, corrupt leadership, ruin relationships, and faith is where the healing begins. Thank you for joining me today. Now stay tuned. I want you to hear how you can get this book, Courage to be Healed, and that you can get it for those that you care about. God bless you. Until next time, this is Mark Rutland. Thank you for joining me for The Leader's Notebook. To order a copy of Courage to be Healed for yourself or someone you love, please visit the store at DrMarkRutland.com. Enter the promo code COURAGE for 30% off. To order by the case, please call us at 888-823-8772. Thank you for listening to The Leader's Notebook.